great to be with you all here on day two of my being here at Advent. I'm seeing a few of the same faces, so yesterday wasn't terrible. Uh, So let me begin by reading uh, the passage for for today, and then we'll begin. It's Matthew 21, beginning in verse 33. Jesus said, listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the, ten- to the tenants to collect his fruit. The tenants seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Then he sent other servants to them, more than the first, and the- those tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? He will bring those wretches to a wretched end, they replied. And he will rent the vineyard to other tenants, who will give him his share of the crop at the harvest time. Jesus said to them, Have you never read the scriptures? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who reduce its fruits. Anyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. When the chief priests and Pharisees heard Jesus' parable, they knew he was talking about them. They looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. We've been looking at parables today, yesterday, and when my dad spoke two days prior, uh, all parables from Matthew, and it was a bit of a theme, at least that was the idea. Uh, We'd have a common sort of selection of topics, and we'd look at, call them parables of the kingdom or something like that, and uh, so that there was a little bit of continuity between this sort of uh, designed father-son dynamic duo. Uh, I think he's Batman, and that would make me Robin. So I want to think with you today about, or this afternoon, about the issue of authority, our relationship to authority and the various authority figures in our life, how we view them and what our response to them might be. I was at a lovely dinner party last night and I was telling the attendees what I was going to be talking about uh, today, giving them a little mini preview. And one of them spoke up who will forever remain anonymous. And he said, authority, you mean the W-I-F-E? Uh, sorry, I, yes. Uh, my wife is perfectly fine. I'm, I'm not about, anyway. Uh, so the parable today is about authority. It's about the authority of God and what happens when God shows up. It's a narration in many ways of the history of Israel. And it's a retelling of their story um, as one of constant rejection of God and God's authority. 
The, the language of the vineyard that is used it derives from Isaiah 5. Uh, this is the uh, put a wine press in it, built a watchtower. Uh, he built a wall around it. These are all hearkening back to Isaiah 5. And the reason for this and the purpose of this is to say this is Israel's story. The, the vineyard in Isaiah 5 is the nation of Israel. And so this is a story of Israel. Uh, what has happened in its history? As one, uh, and, and the servants, by the way, and their treatment mirrors that of the prophets, right? So the servants are the prophets since the, since the nation, and they are rejected, they are stoned, they are killed, they are beaten. And the sun comes as the culmination of this long history. As uh, one theologian has said about this, te- about, uh, about this, this dynamic, uh, he said, The history of Israel speaks of the unbroken encounter, conversation, and resultant communion between a faithful and holy God with an unholy and unfaithful people. It speaks of both the unfailing presence of the divine partner and the failure of the human partner that should be holy as he is holy, answering his faithfulness with faithlessness. And before you begin to think that this is just a parable that has to do with Jesus and his contemporaries and and his sort of Matthew's notion of salvation history, this is a parable that is very much about us. It's about us and our relationship to authority. When presented with an authority figure, as the prophets or uh, the servants are, it's as if the temperature in the room is raised. Whenever someone who walks in, who's a clear authority figure, everyone instantly ceases to be themselves. Have you noticed this? They become someone entirely different. Either in a kind of uh, anxiety in the face of an authority figure or uh, resentment, rebellion in some way, shape, or form. You see this particularly um, whenever, I feel this whenever I meet people on the street while I'm wearing my collar, particularly in New York City. Um, there are any number of different reactions of, of people when you see, when they see the collar. Um, but more humorously, you see this with clergy whenever the bishop walks in. The bishop walks in in his purple or her purple, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, the room changes. People start trying to appease this bishop. People um, actually run the other way. It's the darndest thing to see clergy run from a bishop, but it happens. I kid you not. You see this at ordinations, right? There's lots of clergy, and the bishop shows up, and and they're trying to be friendly and personable, and, and, and all of a sudden, they have to check their phone. Or, or, you know, oh gosh, I have somewhere to be. So in the face of authority, there is either the response of anxiety or rebellion. Or at least those are the two I want to talk about. So rebellion. Uh, Rebellion can take any number of different forms, right? It can be resentment. It can be uh, compartmentalization. It can be uh, passive aggression. Uh, My favorite sort of illustration of this, uh, have you ever um, seen schools that have school uniforms, right? Authority tells them to dress a certain way. This happens all the time in England. Every single school, they have a school uniform and they have to buy the clothes for it. Well, the, the kids hate this, apparently. 
uh, or so it seems from how they dress, because they will do the, just the bare minimum that they possibly can, and they'll wear their clothes in such a way that it's ridiculous. So they'll, they'll have their tie as they're required to wear, but it'll be that long. It'll come up to here. <laughs> Or uh, they have to tuck in their shirt, and they tuck in their shirt so voluminously that it looks ridiculous. Or they have to wear a jacket, and it's as if they've all seen the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, and they, and they have it backwards, inside out. You know, Will Smith wears his jacket inside out in the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Uh, this, these are all sort of instances of kind of rebellion against authority. A couple weeks ago, I was walking through New York City, and in this very kind of posh neighborhood in the Upper West Side, someone had graffitied uh, the phrase, spread anarchy. Don't tell me what to do. And isn't that the case when presented with authority? We say, don't tell me what to do. This rebellion. Uh, when I was growing up and in, in, uh, as a was a teenager, I happened. Someone introduced me to pop punk. Now this was at a time when pop punk was all the rage. I loved it. <laughs> as a as a teenager who, for whom uh, uh, my dad could tell so many stories, and thankfully he didn't. About uh, rebellion as a teenager, that I loved. One band that I particularly loved was uh, a, a band by the name of MXPX. And I loved it because they were, they were sort of tapped into this feeling of uh, rebellion, but they had uh, flat, were under the banner of like a Christian band, so it was okay. But they, but they were always just totally against authority. And one, one of the phrases that they repeat in a, uh, in a song is, excuse me, but you don't know me, and I sure don't know you either. Uh, what do you call yourself? What do you call me? What do you call yourself? I mean, it's punk, so they repeat it all the time, right? Um, this is in the face of authority. Punk music captures exactly the dynamic of rebellion. Authority, though, uh, can present our, ourselves in our lives honestly as a threat, as a threat to our being and as our autonomy. And this is what happens in the parable. The prophets are sent, the son is sent, and they are authority fig- an authority figure because they're representatives of the owner. And how do the tenants respond? But rejection, outright rebellion, right? They see the son and they say, if we kill, the, if we kill it, kill him. The, the vineyard will be ours. I don't know what authority figures there are in your life. Maybe it might be your W-I-F-E, or maybe it's your boss, or maybe it's a parent, or maybe it's uh, a political figure, uh, the government, or, I'm sorry, I I didn't mean to talk about politics. Um, I don't intend to. Uh, As soon as you talk about politics, by the way, everyone emotionally withdraws. Um, It's the darndest thing. So I won't talk about politics. Uh, But people respond to authority in all sorts of different ways. I was talking um, with uh, a friend of my brother's at his wedding last week. And he's a chef. And they promised when he took the job that they were going to send him to uh, France to do further study. And the years have gone by and they didn't. So I asked him, so how are you handling this? And he goes... I steal things. And I went, 
what? He says, oh yeah, I have a whole set of silverware uh, in my house. I don't need the silverware. I'm just taking it. Really? How's how's that working out for you? Does does it help? Well, I just steal bigger things. Okay. Uh, Rebellion. The other response is that of anxiety or stress. Right? So you, you don't rebel against the boss. You, you become instantly anxious, nervous around them. Because why? You want them to like you. You want to appease them. And rather than gaining their appeasement, you find that their appeasement is, never, is, is rarely to be found. So you're always anxious. The first time I, so I, in my, uh, I did a, a PhD in England, in Durham, and I went without ever having met my supervisor. Uh, I had emailed with him, and, but I never actually met him in person. And so my first meeting, I was, as you might expect, incredibly anxious, incredibly nervous, because uh, as I came to find out later, um, he quite consciously assesses the student's abilities quite quickly. (laughs) And I knew, sort of implicitly knew this, and I wanted to make a good impression. I didn't want to, you know, say the wrong thing, didn't want to appear stupid, wanted to appear informed, but not arrogant. Uh, All of these sort of dynamics, right? And the only way I could sort of muster up the courage to walk into his door was by listening to Beethoven's Third Symphony, the first movement, which begins with this triumphant hunting scene uh, of kind of the hero who who, uh, goes and conquers the land. I literally listened to the music on my way in, and I finished, and I went, okay, I'll be all right. But anxiety and stress... The difficulty with authority that we find in our day-to-day relationships plays itself out in particular with our feelings about God. And this is true for two reasons. One, uh, because God is an authority figure. There's often, there's no way to getting around that, right? Uh, the, the proper name for God in the, in the Greek uh, Bible is Lord, right? The Lord It's hard to get more of an authority figure than when your actual proper name is Lord, right? The other is that God, uh, as a Lord, gave a law, which has certain expectations of how life is to be lived, just as your boss has certain expectations or job descriptions of how it is you are supposed to fulfill your duties. And in the face of lordship and law, we end up cowering in anxiety or end up rebelling like the tenants. So the question is, why is it that we have such difficulty with authority? What is it about the authority that prompts such strong reactions? In other words, as in the parable, you know, it wasn't enough that the tenants rejected one servant. The impression is that there were countless streams of servants sent, right? And having exhausted his supply of servants, the the owner sends the son. This is a repeated, consistent response. Why? Why? Now, one answer, of course, is that we are sinners. And that's what sinners do, right? What is the story of the garden except a rejection of God's authority? And this is one answer, 
but it's not itself particularly profound. Um, or at least you see, to say that sinners reject authority is true, and perhaps, in fact, might be the definition of what a sinner is. So you're you're, you're left in this kind of this uh, reflexive loop of a equals a equals a equals a, but it does not really get at the question of why it is sinners reject authority. And it's my experience, at least, that rebellion or anxiety of of against an authority figure is really rooted. Uh, in our fear in the face of judgment. An authority figure presents, its, presents him or herself as someone who is to be feared. And they are feared because we believe that we will be measured and judged by them and found wanting. Right? You have a job to do. Why can't you do it? Darn it. Or you have a parent who's always on your case about one particular thing. They didn't, you didn't go into the right profession. And, they, and, you're, and you're, uh, you've, you've, you've accumulated a great deal of student loans. And they're, and they're always nervous and bringing up your student loans at very, uh, very poor, poor timing. Um, I, I, I deal with lots of students who are incredibly anxious about student loans. Uh, the, the very worst thing that you can do when talking about a student is talk about student loans. Uh, because it's about, it brings up all sorts of anxieties and insecurities about the future and the probable judgment that they're feeling having taken out so much money. Um, where was I going with that? Uh, authority and fear. When reading our parable, that parable then, it seems as if our fear concerning judgments are, is actually validated, right? We read the parable, and God sends his prophets and beloved son to this vineyard, and when their authority is rejected, God responds with destruction by killing those wickedly wicked servants. It seems that the divine response to rejection of authority is judgment and death. But take a closer look at the parable, and you will find, and you will see that, in fact, the nature of God's authority is something entirely different than our fear of judgment. You see, the Son is sent willfully, traveling a great distance to the vineyard, knowing exactly how the previous servants have been treated. Think about that. Think about the Son of this parable getting on horseback or camel or donkey or whichever, whichever direction this, this, this owner has decided to live and making the track to this vineyard that will not end well for you. The son comes in full knowledge that at the end of his journey it's likely death. The son comes to the vineyard with all of the authority of the owner Right? As the owner's duly appointed representative. But he does not show up to this rebellious vineyard with an army. The son comes alone, fully resolved to his fateful end. This is not an exercise of authority and judgment, but rather of powerlessness, frailty, and vulnerability. And perhaps more profoundly, the story does not end with our rebellion and God's judgment. 
but with God's decisive act of salvation on our behalf. The one who was rejected by men has been raised by God as the cornerstone. This, then, reframes Israel's entire history according to a new climactic event. The story of Israel is no longer one of disobedience and idolatry and uh, all of the things, a rejection of God, but is in fact, by this very disobedience, has led to the marvelous resurrection of God's Son, at whose name every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus is Yahweh. So it is with us, our rebellion or our anxiety in the face of God's authority does not end with judgment, but grace. As Paul says in in Romans, it is precisely the ungodly whom God justifies. The healthy have no need of a doctor, but the sick. And this is the great exchange of Christianity and the heart of its good news Our unfaithfulness and rejection of God in exchange for the grace of Jesus. Jesus does not die for his faithful followers, but for those who abandon him in his time of need. Where there is sin, God responds in love. Where there was fear and panic and rebellion at the visitation of God, The great authority of God is manifested precisely in forgiveness and mercy. Amen.